Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. I've missed you. I've missed you. What have you been doing? Where have you been? Who have you seen? What have you talked about? Yeah, I know. What'd you have for dinner last night? I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thank you so much for including me in your day. It is the 21st of July, 2022. It's a Thursday, which means we're definitely talking with Ben Johnson and Peter Kapsner. Um, we're also going to be uh, talking today with um, with David Murray about his book, The Story Changer. That ought to be a good time. Um, so when we when we think about all that's going on in the world, when we think about the challenges that we face. Um, I'm wondering where you put your anxiety. Like, what are you anxious about today? Let's just put a pin in that for a moment. What are you anxious about today? What's causing you? anxiety. What are you anxious about today? And what are you doing with that? Where are you putting that? Today's Growing Your Faith verse, um, which is My Faith Radio's verse of the day, which you can sign up for at MyFaithRadio.com, is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What are you anxious about today? Are you anxious over many things or just one particular thing? How is that anxiety helping you cope or plan or rest or work or resolve things? How is that anxiety serving you as you seek to live as a person of unassailable joy and contented peace and spirit-inspired confidence come what may. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him, all of it. Yes, even that anxiety that you've been reserving for use in your own public pity party over and over and over again, cast that anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. In fact, he cares more about the cause of your anxiety than anybody else cares. Like you're out there sharing all that anxiety with other people who don't care. They certainly don't care as much as Jesus cares. The counsel and the consolation that you're seeking from other people about the cause of your anxiety, seek it from him. He actually cares about you. And if you're ready to be rid of the anxiety altogether, if you're ready to walk today in freedom and newness of life, content in all circumstances, at perfect peace, with the Prince of Peace as the Lord um, of all that causes you anxiety, even in the midst of war or need or grief, then cast all your anxiety on him because guess what? He cares for you. 
I acknowledge that the cares and concerns of the world are many. I want to remind us of um, the ongoing crisis in the lives of the people of Ukraine. Um, war persists now five months in. Um, it is grievous. There are casualties every day among the civilian population in Ukraine. Um, Russia, for many people, is literally the only way out. You will hear Russia talking about that as people, you know, fleeing to Russia from Ukraine. In fact, for some people, it's literally the only way out as um, their communities are completely surrounded and ultimately taken over. And so they flee to Russia. But then what? Then what? Um, and I learned this uh, this week. You know, I, <clears throat> there's always something new out there to know. And I learned this this week. I confess that until just a few days ago, I had either never heard of or certainly not paid attention to Kaliningrad. Kaliningrad. It is a Russian enclave. It is fully Russian. It is a part of Russia, but it is separated from the nation of Russia by the NATO country of Lithuania. So in order for the people of the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad to actually be connected to their country, Russia, goods and services have to pass through Lithuania. Well, since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Lithuania shut its borders to the passage of of people and goods from Kaliningrad to, you know, the the mother part of Russia and vice versa. Goods and services from uh, Russia's main land to this island in in the I mean, it's a it's a landlocked island, right? It's got land all around it. Um, and between Kaliningrad and Russia proper is Lithuania. It's like a land bridge. Lithuania is like a land bridge. <clears throat> well, um, that's been a source of rising tension that I frankly knew nothing about. But Lithuania is a NATO country. And if Russia chose at any point in time to act against Lithuania, guess what? We would be immediately drawn in to defend um, every square inch of Lithuanian territory. So today I am breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that with Lithuania has reopened its borders to allow sanctioned Russian goods to pass to Kaliningrad. But let me just say, it's one of those features of uh, a post-Soviet world that, to be honest, I knew nothing about until it presented the possibility of a hot war between Russia and the Western world, including the United States. So, yeah, is there much to be anxious about today? Oh, yeah, in every direction you turn. But with every one of those uh, moments of anxiety and concern, I invite you into First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. First up this morning, we've got our friend Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer, a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. We're going to talk about the action of the U.S. House of Representatives to pass the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, you're going to hear Ben Johnson talk about it as the disrespect of marriage act. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God. 
All right, our friend Ben Johnson is back. You can find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. He also tweets at the Rights Writer. Hey, good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. You're on fire, man. I uh, I have read your pro-life pharmacist must dispense abortion drugs or be sued at WashingtonStand.com. And I have also read your piece on the uh, quote or scare quote, disrespect of marriage act. So let's start there for uh, for people who've been paying attention to other things in the last few days, what did Congress vote on? Congress voted on uh, an act that uh, it would not be surprising if most Americans hadn't heard about it because most people in Congress didn't know the vote was coming either. Uh, this was a bill that was just introduced on Monday called the Respect for Marriage Act. And uh, as I say, it was, it was just introduced. Many people who were in Congress had no uh, opportunity to read it and uh, to digest it before the vote which just took place this week. So um, Nancy Pelosi sort of rushed this bill out. But the idea is that uh, in in the wake of the reality that liberals no longer control the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is no longer going to uh, invent constitutional rights, it's going to revert to the original understanding of the Constitution uh, as uh, the Supreme Court being an arbiter of what the Constitution says, not a, a revolving legislature of nine people. Uh, they realized that Roe v. Wade had been overturned, and in his uh, concurrence, Justice Thomas had said we should also look at a couple of other decisions, one of which uh, involved gay marriage, the Obergefell v. Hodges case from 2015. So Congress right now is moving uh, at breakneck speed to try and codify a lot of these decisions into law for the first time because they've never had to. The Supreme Court simply decreed it, and uh, now states were not able to make any law to the contrary. So uh, Nancy Pelosi put out a bill that essentially redefined marriage. It, it um, repealed the Defense of Marriage Act from 1996, which, of course, was voted on and, and supported by many of the members of Congress today, including Chuck Schumer, signed by President Bill Clinton. Uh, it also said that essentially no state can ban gay marriage, even if uh, Obergefell v. Hodges is overturned. It would be impossible for a state to say that marriage is the natural union of one man and one woman for life, which is the understanding of marriage for 5,000 years. Okay, so this is a topic that you and I can circle back around to, and actually I can, um, you know, I can talk with a number of people about, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell people something that happened yesterday. The Department of Health and Human Services sent a guidance on Wednesday to 60,000 pharmacies nationwide um, and you've got a piece posted on that at, at WashingtonStand.com. Pro-life pharmacists must dispense abortion drugs or be sued. Um, this seems like a horrendous overreach. It certainly is. The, the Biden administration uh, has said essentially that if any drug is approved by the FDA, it is impossible for any state to say that they cannot distribute it because the federal government has set its seal of approval upon this. Uh, which would mean that if you're a pro-life pharmacist, you can't refuse to dispense certain forms of uh, of uh, what uh, the CDC calls medication, but which we understand would induce an abortion. Uh, obviously, this is a tremendous test for the conscience of pro-life pharmacists, and uh, they should not be uh, treated in this way. Simply put, America was built on the respect of religious conscious rights, of freedom, of the ability to follow your own moral convictions, regardless of uh, the needs, regardless of the majority opinion in any given area, because we respect the individual. So uh, that's that's what's at the heart of all this. Uh, this is a massive overreach, and this is certainly going to be played out in the courts. 
All right, we're going to continue our conversation uh, with Ben Johnson in just a moment. Uh, let me just ask this as a uh, as to give you something to think about here for a minute. If you start lying, if you start lying, does it get easier and easier to lie the next time? That's going to be our conversation topic in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Well, uh, Ben Johnson is with us. He is the rights writer. He's also a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. Ben uh, Laurie in Connecticut says, good morning. I always enjoy uh, the the conversations with Ben. He's so informative. It's appointment listening. There you go. That'll that'll keep you coming back, won't it? Well, that's that's very flattering, and uh, there's no accounting for taste. (laughs) She's a good egg, man. All right, so um, when you start lying... Uh, I know in my own life, <clears throat> I'm thinking back to seventh grade, uh, when you start lying, it actually gets easier and easier to lie the next time. And the lie gets bigger and bigger. And then you have to keep track of all your lies. And that gets increasingly complicated. And eventually you get found out because, right, everything done in the darkness and in secret ultimately comes to the light. Um, mm-hmm. And so when we start talking about truth telling, information, misinformation, disinformation, um, we have a bit of a truth problem in believing people who are quote-unquote authorities today because they seem to consistently lie to us. And so I just uh, heard an interview yesterday about uh, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks's book, Silent Invasion, in which she apparently talks about all the things that she and others um, just made up and, and yet declared to us as if those things were, you know, absolutely true, true, true. Um, some of the things that she says, you know, we just made it up, remaining six feet apart, um, initially locking down for 15 days. Um, those those were actually just like made up numbers because they didn't know. And instead of just telling us that they didn't know, they made up things that made it sound like they knew, which then, of course, led us to be skeptical about other things. So I think we have a real challenge in the United States and elsewhere of not only telling the truth, um, but telling the truth to one another when we actually see people living in total delusion. I mean, we, we, it's a challenge today. So I thought we, maybe you and I could just talk about that. Well, it absolutely is. And uh, you're, I, I've probably told a lie more frequently or more recently than seventh grade, so I can, I can speak perhaps with more experience than you can. No, but, I was thinking uh, about the, 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 the cascading domino effect of lying. Like I, I actually had this experience in seventh grade where I, I, I learned this lesson, and I think I learned it really well. So like you, I will confess, I have told lies since then, but I definitely um, learned at a very deep level uh, that I didn't want to be a liar. Yes, and and yeah. uh, being a liar is its own punishment, essentially. As you say, uh, ultimately the truth always comes out. Nothing that is done in darkness will not be brought to the light. We have that as a word from truth itself, from truth himself. And so we know anything that we that we say or any way that we dissemble will ultimately be revealed. So uh, that's that's going to be a punishment. And then we are not believed, just like the little boy who cried wolf. Uh, incidentally, I was uh, I was interested in this topic. It turns out there are multiple studies which show precisely what you were talking about. If you tell a lie, it becomes easier to tell the next lie and the next lie. Scientifically proven, because uh, just like uh, the horrors of war, we we uh, end up becoming. Uh, normal, they they become normalized to us. 
Uh, there are negative emotions that are associated with telling a lie the first time, but then once you overcome that hurdle, it just gets easier and easier. And it's true with all forms of behavior. We can see that in our own lives. And unfortunately, we can see it in our government, as you mentioned, with uh, Deborah Burks and the new book that's come out. The idea of being six feet apart goes back to scientific experiments that were conducted in Germany in 1897 by Karl Flugge uh, that do not uh, uh, necessarily reflect on the reality of the coronavirus. Uh, also, the idea of 15 days to slow the spread, as you were talking about, uh, ultimately, she had always intended to uh, to broaden that. And she thought that 15 days would buy her time to find data that would allow her to broaden it. Ultimately, it didn't matter. No one asked her for the data. Uh, she was just taken at her word, uh, which uh, which is unfortunate uh, because, as you say, that ended up casting a lot of doubt on everything else. And it brings us to uh, really the terminus of the intention of all Russian propaganda. We hear a lot of negative things in the media about Russian propaganda. There's a book about Vladimir Putin, uh, which uh, more or less encapsulates the idea that all Russian propaganda heads toward, which is that nothing is certain and everything is possible. So whenever someone hears something, they don't know if it's a fact or not. And anything they hear could possibly be the truth. And unfortunately, our government has done a lot to uh, to breed that idea within us that we can never know whether they're telling the truth or not. This is merely another example of that, which is why it's so important for us when we speak to speak the truth and uh, to be sure that we don't jump on any kind of bandwagon that would limit the ability to express that. I think we need to uh, embrace the Jeffersonian ideal. Uh, as he wrote, uh, he said that he supported, and this is a quote, the illimitable freedom of the human mind. For here we're not afraid to follow truth wherever it may lead, nor to tolerate any error, so long as reason is left free to combat it. So in a free exchange of ideas, we always believe that the best science, the best data, will verify what we say as Christians, because Christ is truth, his word is truth, uh, God himself speaks wisdom, and uh, he speaks success through his word, and uh, he verifies his word, which is self-authenticating, but then he himself personally bears witness to the truth of his word. Errors of opinion may be tolerated where reason is left free to combat it. Thomas Jefferson, that is a pretty great quote. Um, I think leaving room for, um, for one another to admit when we were wrong about something to um, admit, you know, how our mind has changed over time about something, how the truth became clear to us. Um, there's a humility in that, and there's a graciousness that we must extend one to the other, um, never gloating when a person who was confused about something or misunderstood something, you know, comes into the light and, uh, and the light dawns for them. So I was appreciating today an entire series um, in the New York Times about a number of um, of their um, writers, you know, actually like admitting to the times that, that they've been wrong about something. And there's a whole like confessional series in the New York times today. And I, you know, I think that's helpful. Um, I think it's helpful for us to give room and space for people to change their minds on topics. I think we are people whose minds are, um, continually transformed, uh, more and more conformed to the word of God, um, other people, you know, their thinking's being transformed as well. And so leaving some space for that in our conversations and hum humility um, in terms of ourselves is good as well. So, Ben, as always, what a joy to talk with you. Well, likewise. And as you say, it's very important we have to understand this combat of, of truth and falsehood doesn't just take place in the public square. It takes place within our own hearts as well. Anything that's not written in black and white and red is open to interpretation. 
And so it's very important for us to hear all sides, to weigh all the evidence, and to have the humility to say we, we could be wrong, to always understand that outside of things which are based in the morality of the word uh, and the ultimate conclusions of where the, the word takes us, we could be wrong about the specifics of any particular data point, uh, as, as Deborah Burks has, has admitted in here, as uh, the New York Times writers whom you were citing have admitted. We also have to, have to have the humility to, uh, to bow before the cross and uh, to humbly confess to one another, I've been wrong in this, and uh, if, if we were right, to accept people and simply be glad that the light has come on and that they are joining us in the truth, which is how we feel, just as uh, there is rejoicing among the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. Mm. Mm. So good. People are struggling with this in real time each and every day, and so um, we recognize that, we acknowledge it in ourselves. Let us be people of truth who walk in the way of truth, following the lordship and leadership of the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Ben, as always, thanks for joining us. That's Ben Johnson. You can find him and what he is writing about at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. what's your story? What's your story? Have you ever been asked that question? Have you ever asked that question of another person? You know, so, uh, so much of the way that I answer that question is contextual. <laughs> like, right. Cause I mean, you know, uh, to, to share my story, that's going to take a while, right? W- where should I start? Um, what's my goal or the purpose in, in telling whatever portion of my story I choose to tell you know, if this is a brand new person um, or new group of people, like, how do I want them to see me? Um, because you can't, you know, like, right, nobody's going to sit there long enough for you to tell your whole your whole story. So what part of your story do you tell? Um, how do you frame it? Like our stories, I mean, every every person's life has a story. So um, there's varieties of chapters in that. There's highs and lows. There's mountains and valleys, streams and rivers and happy and sad events and characters along the way. And, uh, you know, I'll just acknowledge there. It seems as if some people are the author of their own story. I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge that, you know, I am a person under authority. And so I am seeking every day in every way to allow God to be the author of my story and me to you know, be a person who lives as an instrument of his will and an agent of his grace. Um, but there are people who, like, view their life as, you know, the pen has been snatched from my hand and, you know, someone is writing a story I don't want to be living. And some stories do feel pretty hopeless. But can our stories be rewritten? That is the conviction and um, and part of what David Murray is trying to get us to see in his book, The Story Changer. Who is the story changer? Well, that would be Jesus, the only one who can rewrite human stories with his better story. And so David Murray joins us next to talk about the story changer. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Singing like, hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, 
All right, I know I told you a story just a moment ago, and that story included that David Murray would be here when you came back. And um, and here we are, and he is not. And so there's been a little change in story, but that does not prohibit me from talking about the power of story um, or how Jesus changes our story or how our story becomes a whole lot more interesting um, once uh, once we recognize that we are a part of a larger story. In fact, his story, history, like think about the word. Let's just play with the word for just a moment. Bring the word history into your mind's eye. And now imagine that it is a one of those words that is compound, two words brought together. If the word history is, in fact, a compound word, two words brought together, then what are those two words? His story. So there you go. Little word play. David Murray is uh, is here with us. He is a pastor. He is an author. We're going to talk today about the story changer. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. It's great to join you. It's wonderful to have you. Let's just start with the power of story. What's the power of a good story? Well, I think God knows the power of a good story because the book he gave us is mainly stories, and he wants to connect with us. He knows that that's how he wired us, that we connect with stories much more powerfully than lists of facts and figures and bullet points. And therefore, when he gave us the Bible, he gave us a book with about 800 stories in it. And of course, one big overarching story of redemption. So I think our cultures recognize that too. And you see it in business and politics. Everyone's trying to tell their story. But I want people to listen to God's story because I know it has the power to change everyone's story. Well, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about um, not only The Story Changer, this book, which people can find at thestorychanger.life, lots of information about it. Um, But I appreciate that you set this, all of this, my story, your story, each individual story, you set it in the context of the overarching story, the big story, his story. Um, And so Bible study and Bible engagement is important to you. And I'm one of those like begin with the end in mind kind of people. And so I really appreciate the scripture index um, in the story changer. And I appreciate that there are, um, you know, some devotional um, opportunities that go along with this. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk with us about the Bible um, and encourage people beyond Bible reading or Bible listening to Bible engagement. How does knowing God's story actually help us become better storytellers and change the way that we see and tell our own stories? Yeah, I think Bible study tends to fall into two uh, false approaches. One is it's all about learning facts and truth and doctrine. And the other is it's all about practical change, transformation. And maybe each of us has an attraction to one of these, depending on our character. Uh, But I believe the Bible comes to us with both, and that we should study truth with a view to transformation, and that transformation is always through truth. And that's why I wanted the story changer to bring together these two approaches so that we truly do get to know God's story, but in a way that changes our own. 
you, you, there's no point in knowing truth without transformation, and there's no point, there's no way to be transformed apart from truth. And I want people to read their Bibles, to get truth, but always to be asking, as you said, with the end in mind, why did God give me this truth? What does he want to change in me, in my mind, in my heart, my emotions, my conscience, my daily life, my the way I use my body, the way I relate to others? And those who do that, I think, will not only have their story changed, they will have a story to tell and therefore become story changers themselves as they share that with others and see the truth transform others as well. So let's give people an example. Um, maybe you could tell us your story. Hmm. Well, I try to do that in the book, Carmen. As you know, at the end of each chapter, I share how God's truth has transformed my story. I was raised with, by Christian parents, but really rejected that in my late teens and early 20s, rejected God's story, didn't read God's story, wasn't reading my Bible or praying for years and years. But he chased me down and through various providences, some very painful, he put his hand on my life and said, David, (laughs) I'm having you, you're coming back. And he brought me back through his truth. Somebody put a Bible study in my hands when they saw how miserable I was, started reading that. And I I can only say I I met Jesus through that. Through his story, I met the story changer. He was as real to me as I read the Bible as you are, as I talked to you, Carmen, this morning. And I began to find a, a passion and a fascination with God's story, mainly because I was meeting the story changer, and he was changing my story. Habits, practices, sins that I'd fallen into and I thought I could never overcome. He was weakening and eventually defeating and giving me loves for things I hated, like church, like Christians, I have to be honest. So I hope, as I try to tell my story in the book, that it will encourage people that this isn't just theory, It's not just an idea, but this really works. And we can bring the worst parts of our story to the story changer and just watch him work through his story day by day. We have a listener engaging with us um, on the text line at 877-933-2484. This is reminding her of uh, a live stream she watched on Sunday night, uh, the Chosen live stream, which featured the stories of nine young adults um, telling how watching The Chosen has um, intersected with their own stories and transformed the way they see Jesus and themselves. I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Um, how interacting with Jesus, getting to know Jesus well enough to see him as the story changer, to recognize him as the story changer, to allow him to change our stories. You also deal in the book with the story shredder. Who is the story shredder? Yeah, I think this is something we have to recognize, that while Jesus is the one who wants to change our stories for the better, we are up against an opponent at the same time, the devil, who shredded the human story in Genesis 3, and ever since has been out to shred every human being's story, sometimes with terrible success. 
And yet, in that same chapter where he shredded our first parent's story, Genesis 3, we also have a great promise that the story changer is going to defeat the story shredder. And I think that gives us great encouragement to fight the story shredder. And even if he shredded our story, to bring these pieces back to the story changer. And amazingly, uh, he can take the most shredded story and make something beautiful of it again. And if anyone's like me who has tried at times to uh, put together a, a shredded document, one shredded accidentally, uh, you'll know how almost impossible that is, but it's not impossible for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, we're talking with David Murray. The book is The Story Changer. I encourage you to um, to check out the website, thestorychanger.life. Um, this, uh, this concept of a U-shaped life, I like that. I like uh, how you talk about Jesus's life being U-shaped. Um, can you introduce people to that idea? Sure. Well, I think all of us start off really with an I-shaped life. The letter I, it's all about I, me, and myself, that we are very self-focused. But what Jesus does is he basically turns our letter I's into letter U's. In other words, instead of it all being focused on ourselves, we basically have two arms now that reach out, one to God and one to others. And at the bottom of this letter U is Jesus's humbled, humiliated, suffering life. Because only he can change our eyes to use. Only he can change us from being self-focused to being God and other-focused. And he does that through his humbled, suffering, dying life. And I've seen that. I look back in my own life, Carmen, just incredible selfishness and a life that was really careless about other people, thoughtless about God. And yet when I met with Jesus through his word, he, it was nothing for myself, only him, that gave me this desire now to please God and please others and reach out in a way that I didn't think was possible or even pleasurable. And yet I found that that kind of U-shaped life focused on others, focused on God, is by far the more satisfying and useful life. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk in just a moment about the messy stories um, and the desire that each one of us has for a new story. We're also gonna talk about endorsements. So if if your if your book if your life were a book and you turned over to that back cover and you looked at the endorsements, who right now who right now would um, would be on that endorsement list for your story? Now I want you to consider who's on. Uh, the endorsement list for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask David Murray that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I will trust. Continuing our conversation with pastor and author David Murray, you can find more about The Story Changer at thestorychanger.life. Um, David, when we, uh, when we think about our lives and maybe who would endorse our story or the story that we're telling, um, it, leads, it leads you to talk a little bit about who endorses Jesus's story. 
Um, and so let me just ask that, you know, how, how does the Bible endorse Jesus's story? And, you know, and maybe how is that relevant um, to me? Yeah, well, um, all authors know that one of the parts of the publishing process is to get our manuscript in front of uh, people who have some experience or expertise or uh, popularity and ask them to write a blurb, write a couple of lines saying, this is the best book that's ever been written or (laughs) something like that. Uh, Because people look at a book and they first look at a title, they look at the author, and then the third thing they do is they look in the back cover to see who's endorsed it, who's blurbed it, who with any credibility has put their name to this book. And it's it's a big factor in people deciding whether they'll buy a book or not. And so when we turn to the Bible, we ask, you know, what are the endorsements of the Bible? And I go through each book of the Bible showing how each book commends and endorses Jesus in different ways. For example, Genesis endorses Jesus as the creator. Exodus endorses Jesus as the liberator. Leviticus endorses Jesus as the sacrifice. And so on, going through the whole book of the Bible, each author, each book is endorsing Jesus in a very unique way in each book. And the cumulative effect of that is incredibly powerful. You have 66 endorsements of Jesus in 66 different ways that is very persuasive and impactful to readers and hopefully persuade them to pick up this book, read it, and find that God's story is changing theirs. Uh, I'm also thinking about the way in which, you know, God the Father endorses the Son um, mm. at his baptism on the Mountain mm. of Transfiguration. Um, I'm just like, right, those are some serious Jesus yep. endorsements. Um, <laughs> and, and I love that. Uh, one of the things that you said there, David, you know, is, is in reference to, like, you know, each one of the authors of the books of the Bible. There is this there is this relationship between human agency, the way we are writing our own stories, and the ultimate author and his authority to um, to write my story as a part of the larger narrative. Can you talk a little bit about that? I don't lose my human agency no. when I when I begin to submit to and live under and into the authority of God. Yeah, there's a lot of mystery in that area, isn't there, Carmen? I think the there's a lot of misconceptions. You've got the extreme of autonomy. I'm writing my own story. No one else is going to have any influence. And on the other hand, you've got the whole idea of like, almost like a typist, you know, that we are the keyboard and, and it's only God that is working on us and we're just passive. Whereas I think when you read the Bible, you see the truth that God, yes, is in overall sovereign control, but he works through us, and we are not an impassive, we're not a passive, inanimate object, but he works through our personalities, our characters, our choices, our temperaments, and he enables us. It's not that he does it for us, he enables us, he empowers us to choose what is right and choose against what is wrong. And therefore, there's this beautiful uh, synergy between God's writing and our own that both glorifies God and dignifies humanity, that gives God the glory and yet does not overrule or replace 
who we are. I don't think any human has ever found the right words to explain that. But when you're actually living it, it makes sense. Uh, There's an old saying in Scotland where I come from, it's better felt than telt. In other words, it's, it's easier to feel it than to tell it. And I would invite people to, yes, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, take my pen, you know, take my life and begin writing a a new story. And you'll find that it's a way that uh, both honors God, but also develops your humanity so that you flourish and thrive as never before. Mm. I love that. Uh, I think that the conversation about autonomy and authority is I mean, it's just such a primary conversation, Mm -hmm. even if it's not the language people are using. Um, Mm -hmm. It is the primary conversation of the day. Um, It gets to that conversation earlier about the I-shaped life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's the letter I uh, for those of you listening and aren't, you know, aren't seeing what I'm seeing. And the Mm U-shaped life, not Y-O-U, but U, literally the letter. I think they're of a U-turn, of a Mm U-turned life, Um, an I-shaped life and a a U-shaped life. Just the this difference um, in understanding um, God as the author of it all, Jesus as the author of salvation. And in that, you know, he has all authority. Um, mm-hmm. The authority question and the author question are definitely connected. And and when I get that, then I begin to understand who Jesus is as a story changer. I mean, I, I, get, I get the redemptive narrative when I get mm-hmm. that it's not all about me. Um, and even though I'm this really significant character, I'm I'm uh, I'm a blip on the uh, eternal screen of uh, of this big redemptive narrative that's ongoing all the time. Talk with us um, about, you know, maybe your hope for how people would use the book, The Story Changer um, and, you know, and and the related resources. What's your hope for how people would use this? Yeah, I've I've really presented this book as an introduction it's it's the beginning of a journey, and the story changer book, a book actually that we'll be able to put into the hands of non Christians, that they'll be able to connect with it, they'll be able to understand it. It's a simple book. It's been presented. It's been laid out in such a way that it's hopefully very readable. Uh, people will use it in small groups as well. But there is a series of devotionals coming afterwards, and they'll go through each book of the Bible, showing how God's story changes our story. So in a way, the story changer, an introduction, is the first step. It's showing us the whole idea. But then we put it into practice with the devotionals so that people are in God's story, in the text of Scripture, but that that being in the text is also transformative. So... It's a wonderful thing that we can be in this massive story of redemption, this huge meta-narrative, and yet God is also working in our little stories too. So we're trying to bring these two things together in a way that will hopefully excite people about this way of viewing Scripture, viewing themselves, seeing a purpose in life, and above all, glorifying God as the one who invites us into his own story and rewrites our own in the process. All right, so I'm just going to read the paragraph about the shared story at the very end as an invitation. Uh, and so if you're listening right now, this comes um, from David Murray and is an invitation to you to continue and accelerate the change 
I invite you to join me and other story changers at thestorychanger.life, where we share God's story and stories of how God has changed our lives with his story. You'll also find daily devotionals to sustain change and advance it. Um, There's all kinds of great stuff there. So there you go. You can engage and interact more on this topic and with David at thestorychanger.life. David Burry, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the gift of the story changer and the ongoing uh, conversation about the story. Thank you, Carmen, and thank you for being a story changer. Thank you so much. All right, that's David Murray. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. Think for, think for a moment about the, the ways in which songs tell the story. Do you love to come to the altar? Do you love to tell the story? I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It's going to be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I hope you know where you are in relationship to the main character, Jesus. Let's keep telling that story. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.